Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Last week, I had a two-hour-plus debate with Dr. Michael Shermer. Dr. Shermer is the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. And we were supposed to be debating what better explains reality, theism or atheism. And as you know, this is the title that I like to debate rather than does God exist. Does it debate something like what better explains reality, theism or theism or atheism? It's obvious that both sides have the burden of proof to provide evidence that reality is better explained either by theism or atheism, depending upon what side you're on. Of course, I'm arguing for theism, and Dr. Shermer was arguing for atheism. Uh, in fact, what we try and do as philosophers or scientists or investigators is we try and take the effects that we experience in reality and we try and reason back to a cause. We see these effects and we say, well, there's got to be a cause for these effects. What is the cause? As a theist, I think that the aspects of reality that we can witness here point back to a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who created all things and sustains all things, i.e. a theistic God. Now, as an atheist, an atheist has to have some other explanation for aspects of reality. In the debate, which, by the way, you can watch on our Facebook page or on our uh, website, crossexamine.org. We're about to put it up on YouTube as well. You can watch the entire debate. Uh, that I had with Dr. Shermer last Friday night in San Jose, California. Unfortunately, from my perspective, I don't think Michael provided much evidence for his position. Now, before I get into unpacking why I think he didn't present evidence or uh, criticizing what he did, I, I want to say I like Michael. I, I commend him for being a, a relatively kind man compared to some other folks I've debated. And, uh, and for agree agreeing to engage in cross-examination, you know, I'm not a real fan of formal debates where it's dueling speeches. You know, one side gives a statement and the other side gives a statement and then there's rebuttals back and forth and they never cross-examine one another. And when that happens, I think a great opportunity is missed because each debater, if he wants to or she wants to, can just ignore what the other person said if he's not being pressed by the other person, if there's no cross-examination, the other person or the the debater can simply ignore what the other side has said in their in their speech. And they can say whatever they want. But when you have a cross-examination period, they really can't ignore it. And so Michael agreed, as he did in the previous debate we had in New York three years ago, Michael agreed to have cross-examination. In fact, what I said is, look, let's just have 20-minute opening statements. And then let's cross-examine one another. And then we'll take questions from the audience, and then we'll have closing statements. That's the way it went. 
and it was a very spirited back and forth. I mean, after we each had these 20-minute opening statements, we had about a half hour where we just went back and forth with one another, and then we had another half hour or so, maybe a little bit more, where, the, where we took questions from the audience, where we engaged the audience and engaged one another. And so I think that makes for a much more interesting debate and a debate that does not allow each participant to ignore the strong points that the other side may have. Now, it does have its downside. You know, I couldn't address some of the things Michael brought up in his opening opening statement because I didn't have a rebuttal statement and he couldn't rebut some of the stuff I said because he didn't have a rebuttal statement. But I think it's worth the price uh, to have uh, instead these cross-examination periods. And so we did that. And I want to commend Michael for doing that. I think that makes, uh, as I say, for a much, a very interesting debate. By the way, we, we like one another. We went out for dinner afterwards with a bunch of other folks. In fact, my friends, uh, Oleg and Karina up in Sacramento came down to Sacramento and they said, Hey, let's go out for dinner afterwards. And about 12 of us went out, including Neil Mammon, the, uh, a, fr- a friend who was the moderator of the debate. And, uh, my son who was with me and several other folks, we went out and, uh, uh, Dan Kimball, by the way, was there. He's a pastor over there in uh, Santa Cruz, and uh, he helped uh, get behind the debate and uh, promote it. Uh, and several other folks went. and And Oleg said, "Come on, I'll pay, I'll pay." <laughs> he went. He chose this steakhouse that's got to be one of the most expensive steakhouses in San Jose. The cheapest steak on the menu was sixty eight dollars. So there were some on there for two hundred fifty bucks. I mean, this is a high end steakhouse. The the night had to be, he picked it. We didn't pick it. It, it had to be uh, well over $1,000 for, for dinner. And uh, Oleg was very gracious. He paid for the whole thing. In fact, Dr. Shermer, Michael posted an Instagram of the picture of his steak. He said, this is the best steak I've ever had. So it's just thanks to them. So we had a great time doing this debate. And uh, we, we interacted afterwards a little bit over this dinner. So just like we did last time in New York. I mean, Michael's a very nice guy. I enjoy being with him. In any event. Let's get back to the content of the debate. In my opening statement, I gave what I thought was evidence to support my conclusion that six major effects comprising reality, and I, I, these six major effects I put in the acronym CRIMES, you've heard me talk about this before if you listen to this program enough, and that these, these effects are better explained by God, and in fact, these effects wouldn't even exist unless God existed. And as you know, the... Uh, the CRIMES acronym stands for Creation, Reason, Information, the information found in the genome of living things, uh, Morality, Objective Moral Values and Obligations. E stands for Evil. I think that points back to God. We'll get to that later. And, uh, of course, our ability to do science, the orderly natural world that allows us to do science. So I said, look, Creation, Reason, Information, Morality, Evil, and Science point to God. And these effects that we see here in reality, the biggest effect, of course, being is creation itself, that there is a universe. I mean, if there is no God, why is there something rather than nothing? Those effects point back to a spaceless, timeless, immaterial being, a being like God. And as you know, I make this case in a more robust way in the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. So if you want to if you want the, the details on that case, get the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. I mean, I had to rush through all this material in 20 minutes. That's the hardest thing about doing debates. It's not what you're going to leave in. Um, it's what you're going to leave out. 
You only got 20 minutes to make your case. So you can only really summarize the case. You really can't go into detail. So if you want the details, get the book Stealing from God. So I said crimes points back to a theistic God. Now, in Dr. Dr. Shermer's opening statement, it seemed like he didn't assume that he had any burden of proof at all. Instead of giving evidence of how reality could be explained by causes other than God, he just claimed that science is superior to religion and that one day we could find naturalistic causes for everything I had said. The problem is that that claim that we're, one day we're going to find science is going to find naturalistic causes is ironically a faith position. He's, he's having faith that science is going to find causes for all the crimes that I just mentioned. In fact, it's worse than that. It's not just a faith position. It's a blind faith position. Why? Because it's impossible in principle to find a natural cause for each of the crimes. It's impossible in principle that you're going to find a natural cause for creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science. You say, how can that be? Well, let's, let's just consider creation to start with. If the entire natural world, what we mean by the natural world, the universe, space, time, and matter had a beginning, as most atheists admit, even Stephen Hawking admitted it, uh, uh, many others admit it, Hawking's famous quote is, almost everyone now believes that space, time, and matter had a beginning at the Big Bang. So if, if that's true, then the cause can't be part of the natural world, but must transcend it. In other words, the cause of nature must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing personal and intelligent in order to choose to create. In other words, we're never going to find a natural cause for all of nature. You might as well say that one day you're going to find a natural cause. Well, I'll pick it up after the break. You're, you can't find a natural cause for all of nature. It's impossible in principle. I'll unpack it further when we come back. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. We're back in just two minutes. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. What better explains reality, theism or atheism? That's the debate I had with Dr. Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine, last week in California. You can see the debate on our website, crossexamine.org. It's also on Facebook, our Facebook page, crossexamine.org. By the way, like that Facebook page because coming up this, uh, this Wednesday and Thursday, I'm going to be in Missouri at two uh, colleges, and we're going to broadcast over Facebook the events. We're doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. The first uh, event will be at Missouri Western State University in St. Joseph's, Missouri. It's going to be 7 to 9 p.m. I assume that's central time. I think we're in the central time zone there. Uh, so it'll be 8 to 10 Eastern time. Uh, watch the stream live on Facebook. And then the next night, uh, which is September 6th, I'll be at Northwest Missouri State University in Maryville, Ohio, uh, Missouri. Maryville, Missouri, not, not Ohio. Maryville, Missouri. And uh, these, both of these places are not all that far from Kansas City, just so you know, it's on the western side of Missouri. And again, we'll be streaming that live 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time, so 8 to 10 Eastern, uh, and uh, 5 to, what, 6 on the West Coast. And for you Mountain, t mountain, mountain Time folks, it'd be, I guess, at 6 p.m. 
Uh, so check all that out on our Facebook page, crossexamine.org. you got to like those pages, though, and uh, you have to go to that page in order to see it, to see the stream live. So uh, check that out. And um, in any event, we were talking just before the break that uh, you can't find a natural cause for all of nature if, in fact, nature had a beginning. And even people who believe in the multiverse, like uh, Alexander Vilenkin, the famous cosmologist from Tufts University, says all the evidence shows the universe had a beginning. And even, even he goes on to even say, even if there are other universes out there, and he's a believer in that, not that he can verify that. There's no way to verify these other universes. It's just a faith position, a speculative position. But even he says, look, the whole show would need an absolute beginning anyway. Even if there are other universes, all these universes together would need an absolute beginning. Now, he's an agnostic. He, he doesn't think that this has anything to do with God. But it seems to me that if all reality had a beginning, that whatever created reality, uh, the space-time reality, can't be made of space and time. Can't be, or can't be made of space, time, and matter. It must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. I remember I was at the uh, University of Michigan a number of years ago, and an atheist got up to the microphone after I'd given evidence that space, matter, and time had a beginning. And he, he said, well, just give science more time. We're going to figure out how the universe came into be or came into being by, by a naturalistic cause. I said, John, you're never going to find a cause for all of nature, a natural cause for all of nature. Because by definition, if nature had a beginning, whatever created nature can't be, can't be made of nature. It must be something that transcends nature. And he said, no, 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 give science more time. I said, John, first of all, that's a faith position. And secondly, in principle, you're never going to find a natural cause for all of nature. I mean, that would be like me saying, if you just gave me more time, one day I'm going to figure out that I gave birth to my own mother. No, it's impossible in principle. If nature had a beginning, then whatever created nature can't be made of nature. It must be something beyond nature, something we would call supernatural. So. You're not going to find a natural cause for all of nature. And the rest of the crimes that I brought up, reason, information, morality, evil, and science, they're not subject to the scientific method either. Which means despite Dr. Shermer's charge, they, these arguments that I brought up, are not God of the gaps arguments that are one day going to be overturned by some future scientific discovery. How so? Well, let's just take, for example, uh, reason. And, and orderly natural laws. We're never going to find the cause of orderly natural laws or our ability to reason. And the, our ability to reason includes the laws of logic and the laws of math mathematics. We're never going to discover the cause of those things by running some kind of experiment. Why not? Because we must assume those laws in order to do any experiment. In other words, science is built on metaphysical principles that can't be explained by science. They're needed in order to do science. And we unpack this at great length in the book, Stealing from God, the chapter on science. In fact, the chapter on science is called Science Doesn't Say Anything Scientists Do. And there's so many philosophical presuppositions that go into doing science. In fact, I'll get to that a little bit later in the program. But you can't prove those principles by science. You need those principles in order to do science. Also, Objective moral obligations can't be explained through science or materialism either. I mean, if there is no God and we're all just moist robots dancing to our DNA, as Richard Dawkins put it, 
then how does an atheist or a materialist explain the fact that, say, love is objectively better than hate? You can't explain that by running an experiment or by appealing to molecules in motion. You just can't do it. It's, it's in another category. It's a category mistake. Love is not a material thing. Love, you know, there's, there's not carbon in the love molecule. There's no love molecule. It's an immaterial reality that can't be explained by a method that investigates material reality, i.e. naturalistic scientists or science. So you can't explain... And by the way, I, if, if you look at the cross-examination period, the first question I asked Dr. Shermer uh, in the debate, because I had pointed out that reason um, only makes sense on theism. It doesn't make sense on materialism or atheism. Here's the question I asked uh, Dr. Shermer. Uh, it was the very first question I asked during the uh, cross-examination period. I said, Dr. Shermer, if your brain evolved by an unguided, unintelligent process, and all of your thoughts are completely dictated by the laws of physics, in other words, you're just a moist robot, then why should we think your thoughts are true, including the thoughts that you're stating here tonight? And I don't even think he understood the question because he started to talk about emergent properties, which is really just a faith position, that somehow out of molecules, the laws of logic somehow emerge. And our ability to do science and our ability to reason is somehow completely dictated by emergent properties that come out of matter. Now, it depends on what he means by that. But we can agree that we have a brain and, and, and a mind emerges from the brain. But the brain itself, just molecules bumping into one another, can't explain why we have a mind. It makes much more sense to believe that while our in this bodily state, our, our mind is dependent on the brain. It's not merely the brain. It's not, it's not just one-to-one -one identity. And I, well, we unpack that at great length in the book, Stealing from God. But the point here is, is that there's something beyond just molecules. And it can't, if, I mean, if we're completely controlled by the laws of physics, we shouldn't trust any of our thoughts. We're just moist robots. And then I asked him, what's the grounding for the laws of logic. Where do they come from? And he said, well, they're just human conceptions. Now think about that for a second, ladies and gentlemen. If he's going to say that the laws of logic are just human conceptions, what is he using to say that? Well, he's using the laws of logic. And he thinks his statement that the laws of logic are just human conceptions. He, think that, he, think, he thinks that statement, that theory is objectively true. He doesn't think it's just his own subjective opinion. But it would only be his own subjective opinion if the laws of logic were just subjective, because his statement and all statements are based on laws of logic. And I said to him, Michael, if I just had my own private in, uh, laws of logic, my own, I just invent my own laws of logic, and you invented your own laws of logic, there would be no way that you and I could communicate. We couldn't have a debate. We'd be locked in our own skulls. We did not invent the laws of logic. They're, they're grounded in the mind of God. They're a bridge we use in order to communicate between our minds, but we didn't invent that bridge. We just use it, use it, use that bridge. It's, it's, it's grounded in God's nature. In fact, I asked him this question. I said, if you're saying that the, that the laws of logic are just human conventions, that we just invent these in our minds, let me ask you, would the statement 
or I said before there are any human minds on the on the earth, what it, it, would the statement there are no human minds on the on the earth be true? Well, he didn't really like that <laughs> comeback um, because, of course, it would be true. But it's not dependent on human minds because there are no human minds on the earth. So before there are any human minds on the on the earth, the statement there are no human minds on the earth would still be true, even though there are no human minds to conceive of it. Why? Because truth is grounded in God's nature. This is why Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. Truth is grounded in a person. It's grounded in an eternal person, the creator. God is that being. So you can't discover the laws of logic by running some kind of scientific experiment. It's not a God of the gaps argument when I say, well, the laws of logic are grounded in God's nature. Shermer can't, although he tried to say this, he can't come back and say, well, give science enough time. We're going to discover the laws of logic are, are, are have some sort of natural cause. No, that's impossible. Because any science you do to try and discover these laws has to use these laws in order to to run any kind of scientific investigation or experiment. Now, I know this can give you intellectual constipation if you think about it long enough, but that's because atheists are involved in these self-defeating theories, these category mistakes, where they try and use a process, i.e. natural science, that investigates material things. They try and use that same process to investigate immaterial things. That you can't do that. You have to use philosophy to discover immaterial things. In any event, objective moral obligations can't be explained through science or materialism either. I mean, if there is no God, again, we're just moist robots dancing to our DNA. You can't explain love, why love is better than hate. And Shermer didn't even try. Instead, what he did is what most atheists do when they're faced with this kind of problem. He just shifted the problem. By talking about how we know what's right, rather than explaining how an objective standard of rightness exists in the first place. And this is what atheists commonly do. They can't explain why this standard of rightness exists or what it is. So they try and talk about how we know this standard of rightness. Well, that, I, you know, I don't, we can, we can argue over how we know it. That's another question. We're not talking about how we know what this standard of rightness is. We want to talk about what is this standard of rightness? Why is it here? And so what atheists typically do is they confuse or conflate epistemology with ontology. Epistemology is how you know morality. Ontology seeks to identify the source or grounding of morality. And when we come back from the break, I'll show you the error that Dr. Shermer, in my view, made when he tried to shift from ontology to epistemology. What you can do when you're talking to an atheist who tries to say, well, now we can be moral. We know right from wrong. We're moral people. I can know right from wrong just like you can. Yeah, we can all agree with that. What we can't agree on is you can't justify morality. And more about this right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about the debate I had with Michael Shermer. More on that right after the break. Don't go away. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. In Missouri this coming week, ladies and gentlemen, Wednesday night and Thursday night, going to be at a couple of colleges on the western side of the state. Uh, on Wednesday night, Missouri Western State University in St. Joseph's, Missouri, open to the public. Anyone can come. And then Thursday night, Northwest Missouri State University, Maryville, Missouri. I think those two are about 45 minutes apart from one another. Neither are that all that far from Kansas City, Missouri. That's where I'm flying into. So, it, again, that's open to the public as well, both those events. And if you can't be there, you can watch them streaming on our Facebook page crossexamine.org, uh, just like those Facebook that Facebook page and also like Dr. Frank Turek and uh, tune in those nights at uh, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. The event actually occurs live, 7 Central. Probably go to after 9 o'clock, over two hours normally these things go with Q&A. So tune in uh, on our Facebook page if you can't be there. If you can be there, love to see you. Uh, this coming Wednesday and Thursday in Missouri. All right, or Missouri. I don't know. I guess if you're from there, you tell me how you uh, how you pronounce the state. And anyway, we're talking about, in any event, we're talking about my uh, debate I just had last week with Dr. Michael Shermer, publisher of Skeptic Magazine. And just before the break, I was pointing out that I tried to say that objective morality is grounded in God. And Michael, instead of addressing that head on, tried to talk about how we know right from wrong. And here's what he said. He asked the audience to think of reasons other than God as to why we ought not sexually abuse children. Because I brought up in my opening statement uh, a story that I've told you here on this program before about, uh, about uh, Jessica Mitzel, who was sexually abused for many years as a child, and how that, that awful story actually shows that there's a standard of good out there and if this standard of good exists, then God exists. And so he was saying, well, you don't need God to say that sexually abusing children is wrong. He said it's wrong because it hurts other sentient human beings and you wouldn't want anyone to do that to you. Okay, well, that's true. But those reasons that Michael offered, they just appeal to other moral principles that need grounding themselves. He's merely shifted the problem. He hasn't solved the problem. Why is it wrong to hurt other sentient beings? Why should we follow the golden rule? It's interesting that Shermer's actually quoting Jesus to say, yeah, that's what we ought to do. Well, why should we follow the golden rule? Who said? If we're just overgrown germs dancing to our DNA and fighting for survival, as the atheistic, Darwinistic worldview says, what is the cause or source of, 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 of these moral obligations that we know are real and true and objective? You don't get objective moral obligations from a mutating genetic code. If there is no God, there's no such thing as goodness. There just is molecules, or there just are molecules. You don't get morality from molecules. 
These, these moral obligations don't come from science or the natural world. Science can help you discover how to create a bomb, for example, but science can't tell you whether or not you ought to use it. Science can tell you how you can poison your, your grandmother, but science ought, shouldn't tell you how you, it can't tell you if you should do that. Science can tell you all sorts of ways to kill people, but science can't tell you should you kill people. You need an immaterial authoritative essence known as goodness, righteousness, or justice. In other words, you need God's nature. And Dr. Shermer and I, three years ago, had an entire debate on that question. What better explains morality, God or science? Dr. Shermer obviously tried to take science, and of course I took I took God as the, as the source for morality. So you can watch that debate if you want. It's on our YouTube channel. It was uh, in Stony Brook University back in uh, April of 2015. Uh, you can see that if you want, if you want to go deeper there. Uh, but it, you know, it actually might come as a shock to atheists that science is not the only way of discovering causes. In fact, in order to explain creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science, crimes, you need other disciplines outside of science such as philosophy or history or reason itself. And by the way, the only reason, the only way we know reason works is because, um, well, let me put it this way. You can't prove reason by reason. It's a faith position to say that reason is something we ought to, we ought to believe. We ought to believe our reason because any effort to, to uh, prove reason employs reason. It's circular. So it's merely a faith position. I mean, it's well-placed, obviously, but it's merely a faith position. Any defense of reason by reason uses reason, which means it's circular. But we can ask the question, why can we reason? And it seems that the best explanation for why we can reason and why there are orderly natural, uh, I should say, uh, orderly laws of logic and mathematics is because there's a standard, an immaterial standard beyond us, which we would identify as God's nature. That immaterial standard, that immaterial mind out there in which these laws are grounded. That makes much more sense than molecules, mere molecules in motion. In fact, when you really think about it, ladies and gentlemen, there's only two worldviews at the end of the day. The two worldviews are either matter came from mind or mind came from matter. Either matter came from mind or mind came from matter. In other words, what is ultimate? Now, I think we can make a very good case that matter is not eternal. Matter by itself is not intelligent. Matter alone can't do anything. That you need mind. That mind is the ultimate source of reality. Or mind, I should say, is the ultimate ground of reality. That mind gave rise to matter. That mind spoke the universe into existence. That's a metaphor, spoke right? He brought it into existence. Mind did. Matter didn't bring mind into existence. Matter, matter was brought into existence by mind. Now, when I say that there are other ways of discovering causes other than science, such as philosophy, well, Dr. Shermer may scoff at philosophy, but Dr. Shermer actually uses philosophy, as do all scientists. It's unavoidable. Why? Because philosophy is necessary because science actually doesn't say anything scientists do. All data needs to be gathered. All data needs to be interpreted. 
Science doesn't gather and interpret the data. It's scientists applying philosophical principles who do that. And it was interesting that in the debate, the philosophical principle that Dr. Shermer applied was to rule out God in advance. I mean, Michael kept saying, God is not an explanation. Well, how does he know that? How, did he, how does he know God's not an explanation? He's assuming what he's trying to prove. He's not showing it. He's merely asserting it. Now, don't get me wrong. I think when we're doing science, we ought to look for natural causes first, but we ought not rule out intelligent causes before we look at the evidence. And that's what Dr. Geisler, Dr. Geisler, Dr. Shermer's doing. Dr. Geisler's my co-author. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. No, <laughs> that's what Dr. Shermer's doing. He's philosophically ruling out the possibility that there's a mind out there, an intelligence out there, a God out there that can cause things. Now, why is he doing this? And why didn't Dr. Shermer offer a more robust case for atheism explaining reality rather than theism? Well, it could be that he didn't think he had to provide reasons for atheism because according to him, atheism is just a lack of belief in God. Now, we've talked about this on this program before, but let me unpack it a little bit further. Here's what Dr. Shermer said. He said, atheism just means we don't believe in God. Full stop. He said, it entails no other beliefs. Now, notice, by the way, when he says that, that's another philosophical position. It's not a scientific one. That's philosophy right there, what atheism is and isn't. But here's the problem. If Michael just lacks a belief in God, then he's only making a statement about his psychological state and nothing about external reality. Yet the cause of external reality is what we were there to debate. So why did he even show up? I mean, we're not there to debate his psychological state. We're there to debate. How do you explain reality? Not just, not just your psychological state. How do you explain the rest of reality? How do you explain the universe? How do you explain reason? How do you explain information? How do you explain morality, evil, and science? Let me put it this way. If, if two homicide detectives discover a dead body, say my friend Jay Warner Wallace and somebody else, they discover a dead body with a knife in his back. There are bloody footprints leading out the door. And there's a cryptic note from the killer attached to the body. Obviously, both detectives should hunt down a suspect. Now, if one detective shows, that, shows evidence that suspect A is the cause of this murder, say it's Jay Warner Wallace. He says, I got a guy. All the evidence lines up. It points to this guy. I submit to you that the other detective isn't doing his job if he merely says, look, I just lack a belief that suspect A is the murderer. And I'm not required to investigate anymore. No, 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 no. That second detective should give reasons why A isn't the real murderer and then provide evidence that another suspect had the ability, motive, and actually committed the murder. It seems to me that's what Dr. Shermer and I were in. We're in the same position. We're both detectives, if you will, trying to discover why reality is the way it is. I gave evidence that a suspect is responsible for the effects that we see in reality. A suspect, God, best explains creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science. Dr. Shermer didn't do that. The materialistic causes that he suggested, such as evolution, quantum vacuums, and speculations about aliens and bouncing universes, which he, he kind of mentioned in a rambling way in either his opening statement or uh, I think it was actually during our cross-examination, these these supposed causes, even if they're true, require causes themselves. 
and have no ability to cause the immaterial aspects of creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science. So, I mean, even if, say, macroevolution is true, that, that, that doesn't explain why there are moral uh, values out there, objective moral obligations. It doesn't explain why there's evil out there. It doesn't explain why there's information out there. It doesn't explain why reason works or why the laws of logic exist. It doesn't explain the creation of the universe, certainly doesn't explain our ability to do science or why there are orderly natural laws. In fact, even if macroevolution were true, the orderly natural laws which drive it need an explanation. And they're best explained by a mind, i.e. God. So even if you want to say you want to make a case that the whole macroevolutionary theory is true, you're still presupposing orderly natural laws which presuppose an orderer. Presuppose someone like God who creates these laws and sustains these laws, these very precise laws, by the way, which are fine-tuned. So, and even a quantum vacuum, which, doc, which, which Dr. Shermer tried to suggest, well, maybe the universe came out of a quantum... The quantum vacuum needs a cause. So they're not really getting anywhere. All right, there's a lot more to talk about, and we'll talk about it after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek. American Family Radio Network. We're discovering, they're discussing my debate with Dr. Shermer last week, which you can see on our website. Back in two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. What best explains, easier for me to say, what best explains reality, theism or atheism? Talking about my debate with Dr. Michael Shermer, uh, the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. And uh, we're going through some of the problems, I think, that, uh, of course, I didn't have time to unpack all this during the debate. You have very limited time during the debate, but I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out some of the problems I, I thought that Michael Shermer had in trying to explain uh, the reality from a atheistic perspective. In fact, um, I don't think he gave a case that the world can be explained from an atheistic perspective. In fact, he didn't provide evidence that reality can be explained without God. And by the way, I, I've noticed in debating atheists over the years that very few actually do try and provide evidence. The one exception was my friend Jeffrey Lauder, who uh, he and I had a debate a couple of years ago. Again, you can see that debate on our website uh, or on our on our uh, on our YouTube channel. And if you want to find the YouTube channel, just you can go to our website crossexamine.org, or you can just type in Turek video. You'll find it. Um, but very few atheists provide evidence for the atheistic worldview. Intend with, instead, what they tend to do is they tend to mock religious beliefs and they offer complaints about how God is running the universe. They, they, don't, they don't provide evidence for an atheistic reality. They just complain about the way God is running the universe. So without an objective standard by which to judge, they steal a standard from God and judge that there's too much evil in the world, for example, or that God is evil, or if God existed, he would do things differently, like he would write you know, the atheist name in the sky or something like that. And, and by the way, don't forget, religious people are stupid and religion is evil, even though, according to Richard Dawkins, there is no such thing as good or evil. 
So none of this shows there is no God. Complaints are not arguments. And besides, evil actually demonstrates, as we've said before several times, that God does exist because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was an objective standard of good, which is God's nature. So evil doesn't disprove God. Evil may prove there's a devil out there, but it can't disprove God. So the point here is, is that if you're just going to complain about the way the universe is, you're not really providing evidence for atheism. In fact, in a backhanded way, you're, pri- you're, you're providing evidence for theism because if something isn't the way it ought to be, you're implying there's an oughtness to the universe. And that oughtness is what we mean by God's nature. And according to Christianity, Christianity explains that things aren't ought the way they ought to be, but God has come to make them ultimately the way they ought to be. In fact, the entire story of reality, as my friend Greg Coco would put it, the entire story of reality is that things aren't the way they ought to be, and God has come into this universe, adding flesh over his humanity to set things right. The entire Christian story is really about an answer to the problem of evil. Atheists not only don't have an answer to evil, they can't even make sense of what evil is because they have no standard of good by which to even judge what is evil and what isn't. So they have to steal from God in order to argue against him. So you can watch the entire debate again on our website. I thought I gave a case that theism is true. Whether or not you think that's a a persuasive case, that's that's your call. In fact, I think it's a wrong question to ask who won the debate, because it's not really about whose, it's really about the evidence. You might ask who had the better arguments for their side, but I don't like to get involved, you know, who won, because sometimes that is more uh, a issue or an evaluation of personality, which, you know, someone could be completely right and have and not present the case properly or have a bad personality and somebody can be completely wrong and be winsome and and someone you really like and say oh i think that person won well no we're really talking about the arguments here i felt i gave a case for theism i don't think i saw a case for atheism i'm still waiting for the case for atheism and it's not just a lack of belief in god if it is you're not debating anything that's just your psychological state you're trying to say you don't have to say you're absolutely certain there is no God. Dr. Shermer doesn't. But you're, you're saying that the preponderance of the evidence in your view shows that there is no God. Okay, well, why? And then how do you explain these other aspects of reality, creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science, if there's no God, if there's no spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent, creator, created all things and sustains all things? How do you explain those things then? And again, these are not God of the gaps arguments. Why? Because... As I mentioned before, no scientific discovery is, 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 is possible to discover immaterial realities like reason or like the creation of the universe itself or, you know, or, or the natural laws that allow us to do science. All those things you need in order to do science. And we're not arguing from what we don't know. We're arguing from what we do know. So, for example, when we see a, uh, a genetic code, a genome that's 3.2 billion letters long, we don't just lack a natural explanation for that. 
It's not like, well, if we someday we're going to find a natural law that can create this code. No, we know in all our prior experience that codes or messages or information like that or a program like that always comes from a mind, a programmer. Messages don't come from molecules. They come from minds. In fact, during the Q&A, one guy got up there and said, oh, you're using all these invalid analogies. You know, you're using uh, uh, alphabet cereal, take out the garbage mom. It's one I typically use. In fact, I use it in the debate. You know, if you saw on your alphabet, uh, if you saw your alphabet uh, cereal was knocked over on the table and it spelled take out the garbage mom, you wouldn't assume the cat knocked the box over or an earthquake shook the house. You would say that that's intelligent design from an intelligent being, mom. And you say, well, you're using that as a, as a analogy uh, for the DNA in a living thing, but a DNA or DNA in a living thing is replicating. You're dealing with something that's not replicating. But I said to him, yeah, but you have to start with the code. Where does the code come from to begin with? And he said, oh, that can happen naturally. No, it can't. You don't, you don't, you don't get a program naturally. The natu natural laws don't create programs. Yeah, once you have a replicating being, then yeah, yeah, then maybe you can replicate the code. But you got to start with a code. And where does that initial code come from? And even in the simplest life forms we know about, the code is thousands of volumes long. It's it's not it's not a simple code. It's it's a long code. It's a long program. Bill Gates famously said human DNA is like a software program, but far far more advanced than any program we've ever created. Well, where I come from, programs come from programmers. Codes come from coders. Messages come from minds. And it's a one-to-one -one correspondence between a message, a computer code, and, say, DNA. It's really just digital code, as Stephen Myers pointed out in his book Signature in the Cell. So atheists have to come up with a source for a genetic code. So when we see a genetic code, we're not, we're not arguing from what we don't know. We don't just lack a natural explanation. A genetic code is positive evidence for an intelligent being. Now, we don't know from the genetic code alone it's God, but it could be God. You need more evidence to see if it's God. And it's a cumulative case to show that it's the God of the Bible. Just the genetic code alone doesn't get you to the God of the Bible. It's a cumulative case. So, and by the way, you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about... My debate with Dr. Michael Shermer, which you can see on our website, crossexamine.org, on our Facebook page, uh, crossexamine.org, or Dr. Frank Turek. Uh, you can watch it there. We're about to post it on YouTube as well. Uh, love to know what you think about it. I've got some pretty positive feedback from uh, folks so far uh, via email and uh, on Facebook. Uh, but again, it's your, it's your call to say who had the better arguments. Uh, I obviously personally think I did, but that's not my call to make. That's your call. I, I don't think Dr. Shermer presented really any arguments for atheism. He suggested a few things that don't work, but he didn't present a robust case as to why this universe, why reality can be explained in the absence of God. Uh, by the way, when people say, uh, I just lack a belief in God, you might want to stop them and say, okay, let's, let's leave all labels aside. Let's, let's not, let's not, you know, quibble over what atheist means. Let me just ask you this question. Uh, someone who says they, well, you could just, you could just ask it this way. Do you think uh, it's more probable that God does exist, more probable that God doesn't exist, or you just don't know? You don't think there's enough evidence? One of those three positions. Which one are you closest to? God does exist, God doesn't exist, or you don't know? 
All right. You, I don't care what you call yourself. Which one are you close? Okay. You say God doesn't exist. Okay. Why? How, how does reality exist without a being like God? What, what reasons are you going to bring forth? And by the way, what's your, what's your grounding for reason? <laughs> so these are the kind of questions you want to ask people when they want to quibble over titles. Because if you're just going to say you lack a belief in God, then you lack an argument. You're not, you're not providing any positive evidence for your position. And if you unpack that long enough from an atheist, you'll realize they are trying to provide an argument. But their arguments are inadequate. I mean, atheists always try and come up with reasons other than God for why reality the way it is. They'll say, well, evolution, quantum vacuums, multi-universes, all these. Well, okay, fine. You're saying those things are... are uh, are how this universe is the way it is. Okay. What evidence do you have for those things? And what evidence do you have for reason, information, morality, evil, all these things? What evidence do you have for these things? And by the way, why does evidence even work? Why is there evidence for anything? Not just God, anything, because this is a rational, reasonable world. And our minds can ascertain truths about the real world and draw conclusions about the real world. Why are mathematics so precise? Why can our three-pound brains ascertain truths about the real world mathematically that mathematics can actually tell us what's going on outside of our skulls? Because this is a rational world put together by a being who's immaterial, spaceless, timeless, and intelligent. That's why. Now, if you want to learn more about this, obviously get the book Stealing from God, watch the debate, and also enroll in our class Last week to do it, Fearless Faith, myself, Jay Warner Wallace, and Dr. Mike Adams. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, take the premium version so you can interact with us live via Zoom video. And don't forget, I'm in Missouri, Western Missouri, this week, Wednesday night, Thursday night. All the details on the website, crossexamine.org. See you next time, friends. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the cross-examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 